Hi, I'm Gary, and this is EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at the local councils and their differing levels of interest and involvement in EV charger rollout. We're heading towards the end of the season with some hard-hitting investigative reporting, or the closest we can get to that from a small room in southeast England. It's a bit of a long one, I'm afraid, so you might want to take it in smaller chunks. This season of EV Musings is sponsored by ZapMap. Our main topic of discussion today is local councils. Back in the midst of time, about six years ago, the government set aside a stack of cash to allow local councils to fund the rollout of EV charges in their area. Some councils took this money and ran with it. Others were slightly less enthusiastic about it. And in this episode, we're going to delve into why that happened, who did what, and where we expect things to go in the future. You know, I like to start with a story, so here goes. I live not far from Basingstoke in North East Hampshire. When I got my EV almost four years back, I checked out ZapMap to see what was there from a charging point of view. And if we exclude the units from CPOs such as Instavolt, who are actually based in Basingstoke, it seemed as though all we had to show for it was a single DBT charger stuck in a car park near the council office. I popped in to check it out, and as expected, it was iced by cars trying to find a parking spot to go shopping in the town centre. It was one of the DBT machines so favoured by the old ecotricity, and it needed you to jump through 150 different hoops while singing the baseline harmonies to Let Me Have Him Joe from the Bugsy Malone musical and hopping on one leg to actually initiate the charge. In other words, it wasn't particularly simple and straightforward. Now let me contrast that with another local council, which is a few miles in the other direction to where I live. Hart Council was run at the time by the Conservatives. One of the councillors is Steve Forster. If that name sounds familiar, it's because Steve's a friend of the podcast and came on the show to talk about his e-tron. Steve also works on a consultancy basis with our friends at Osprey Charging, or Ingenie as they were then, although at the time of the install he wasn't in that position. The local council had a single 50 kilowatt charger installed in the main council car park, powered by and paid for by Ingenie. It was contactless, and it had a fixed price per charge, £4, I believe. In fact, prior to the card reader being installed, it was actually free to charge. No app needed, no obscure rituals to go through to get it work. Easy peasy. Since then, as the number of EVs in the area has increased, this charger has been replaced with two brand new 50 kilowatt units with great signings and markings. I regularly visit and it's never iced, although it is regularly used. Ingenie at that time also had installed units at three sites in Cheshire East, which is Wilmslow, Congleton and Nantwich. Also, since then, Hart Council has ensured that at least one local development has podpoint charges installed there for people who live in flats without individual parking. And what this shows is that there are councils looking at EV charging seriously, and others there aren't. But let me rewind and look at what the country is doing overall. The Office of Low Emissions Vehicles, now the Office of Zero Emission Vehicles, is the government department set up to manage the government's response to the rollout of low and zero emission vehicles across the country. OZEV is the department responsible for the plug-in car grant for each new electric vehicle, which was £5,000, then £3,000, then £2,500, and now zero unless you're trying to get um, a van. But they are responsible for things like the on-street residential parking scheme, where they have allocated £20 million worth of funding in 2021 and 2022 for the scheme for councils wanting to put charges on or in things like lampposts, 
Since the inception in 2017, more than 140 local authority projects have benefited from the scheme, which has supported applications for nearly 4,000 charge points across the UK. There's also the workplace charging scheme that provides support towards the upfront costs of the purchase and installation of electric vehicle charge points. They offer £500 per charger and £10,000 per business. They are also the body that gives out the £350 per charge point socket grant for people wanting to put EV charges in their own houses. Although, yet again, that grant has now been discontinued. OZEV have also funded a number of Go Ultra Low cities who've been given additional funds to enable them to make bigger strides into reducing their carbon footprint and reducing pollution. These cities or areas are Oxford, Milton Keynes, Nottingham, York, Dundee, London, the west of England and the North East, and we'll talk about them later in the episode. A local government association report entitled, quote, Scoping the role of local authorities in the provision of electric vehicle charging infrastructure, close quotes, in July 2020, basically told the local government line that central government needs to have a more coherent message and strategy, and that anything which they needed to do at the local level would need funding and resourcing to allow it to happen. In the same report, however, it did highlight that there is a scheme called AUKS, the On-Street Residential Charging Scheme, which provides central funds for local authorities to allow charges to be implemented at local authority streets. It also indicated that even though 90% of authorities polled for the report had heard of AUKS, less than half had access funds. Overall, only one in three councils across the country had used AUKS funds. That's right. Only one in three councils had used money freely available from the government to put charging infrastructure in their authorities. Another telling comment from the report was, quote, a number of authorities had installed EV charge points in the past, but had not provided any more in the last five years, with early involvement not being followed up, close quote. It was also interesting that some of the objections raised by participating members against providing EV infrastructure included not agreeing with the need to transition transport to zero carbon alternatives, uncertainty that battery electric vehicles are the technology that would be dominant in replacing ICE vehicles as opposed to hydrogen fuel cells or another technology. So there were some councils out there who believed at the time, July 2020, that we shouldn't be heading to zero carbon alternatives. Bear in mind that this was from the attendees who numbered 33 in total, split between highways authorities, districts and borough councils. The Local Government Association lists 328 of the 333 councils as members, so basically less than 1 in 10 attended. So we have a situation where there is government money being made available, a need in local authorities to use that money, but very little motivation as a whole to be involved. I contacted Hampshire County Council to ask them to come on this podcast and discuss their approach and strategy for EV charging. They declined to provide anybody to physically participate. When I asked them for information about their EV charging strategy, and in particular the on-street residential charging scheme, they did send some stuff through. Hampshire Council have a climate strategy action plan which includes bits and pieces around transport. This includes an electric vehicle charging framework, which includes zero rapid chargers, and a pilot scheme introducing street lamp charging in Winchester and bollard charging in Eastleigh. The Eastleigh scheme introduced 28 charging bollards, The Winchester scheme included 22 streetlight charging points. These were funded from the County Council's climate change strategy with a grant from OZEV AUKS. The total capital costs were around £193,000, with an AUKS grant providing around £125,000 of that. 
Correspondence from the council indicated that these units are all standard slow charge points in the range of 3.6 to 5.7 kilowatts, depending on the fuse rating and charge point setup. They're also not contactless, instead requiring an app. And the reason quoted for this was cost. More expensive contactless payments mean fewer units can be installed for the same budget. The trial will last three years, after which the units should be left in place. And questions were raised, however, about the funding needed to maintain and service these units, and this has not been decided yet. The key point that came across from the Hampshire Council correspondence was that the criteria for whether this trial is a success is based on numerous factors, including increased ownership of EVs and safe operation, use of the charge points and the green energy provided, when and for how long they're used. But being a bit of a sceptic when it comes to councils doing the right thing, the big question that arose was, why would the number of EVs being owned bear any relation to the success of a trial for curbside charging? And this is a typical case of chicken and egg that the council is engaging in. We won't spend the money to put the infrastructure in unless we know people are going to buy the cars. But people aren't going to buy the cars unless they know there's the infrastructure there. This is somewhat doomed to fail without a lot more central government funding. On the subject of funding, Hampshire Council told me, and I quote, Funding the planning, installation, operation and maintenance of the current discretionary charge points is a key issue for local authorities facing financial pressures, where all resources, including experienced staff, are in short supply. End quote. I read that as, this is something where the money we have at the local council has more important things to be used than EV charging. Understandable, given the current economic climate, but it doesn't bode well. On top of that, there are instances where local council implementations have gone wrong for different reasons. You may have seen the social media posts a short while back about new rapid chargers installed in Exeter St David's. They were rapid chargers, but were installed on the curbside like fast chargers. The issue many people, myself included, has was that they were positioned inappropriately on the curbside, taking up valuable real estate, which should be open to pedestrians and particularly disabled wheelchair users. But more so, one of the units was positioned directly adjacent to the electric cabinet which was installed to feed the units. This reduced the gap through which pedestrians could walk even further. The irony of this is that the chargers, while looking a little kooky in 50s retro, were actually reasonable chargers. They had 50 kilowatt charging and onboard batteries, so they didn't sap the energy from the grid when being used. But then they started experiencing reliability problems and have been replaced completely by the contractor who first installed them. At this point, it's probably a good idea to bring in the Council Climate Scorecard. This is, as the name suggests, a scorecard produced by an independent third-party organisation which assessed councils and local authorities on their climate aspirations and progress. The scorecard, which is linked in the show notes, was developed using Climate Emergency UK's Climate Action Plan Checklist and covers nine specific areas relating to the Council's strategy and implementation when it comes to climate change. These nine are Governance Development and Funding, Mitigation and Adaption, Commitment and Integration, Community Engagement and Communications, Measuring and Setting Emissions Targets, Co-Benefits, Diversity and Social Inclusion, Education, Skills and Training, and Ecological Emergency. They're weighted for importance and assessed using independent assessors. The results are a little disheartening, to say the least. I mean, we consider the following councils to be forward-thinking when it comes to climate strategy and EV charging particularly. Milton Keynes, Nottingham, Oxford, Dundee. In the climate scorecards, Oxford City Council averaged 48% across all categories, Oxfordshire County Council averaged 43%, Milton Keynes Council averaged 49%, Nottingham City Council averaged 75%, and Nottinghamshire County Council averaged only 20%.
Dundee City Council averaged 63%. None of these are particularly sparkling numbers, especially when you consider that the highest rated city entity local council was Manchester with 87% and the highest rated local council was Somerset Western Taunton with a whopping 92% and the highest rated county was also Somerset with 63%. What's interesting about these scorecards is that if you look at uh, that map, for places such as Taunton, one of the highest rated places in the country according to the climate scorecard, it has a meagre selection of charges for electric vehicles with just one rapid in the city centre and another two in the nearby environment. So maybe the climate scorecard isn't a good prediction of which locations are looking seriously at electric car charging. So let's look at what some councils are doing. Uh, we talked earlier about the Office for Zero Emission Vehicles, OZEV. This is the government body created to manage the rollout of infrastructure and incentives to get people into electric cars, amongst other things. One of the things that OZEV did was delegate some of its work to the Energy Savings Trust. The Energy Savings Trust put together a project called the Go Ultra Low Cities Scheme. The aim was to create a cohort of eight exemplar cities or regions that lead the way in promoting electric vehicles, tackling air quality and reducing carbon emissions. And we've talked before on this podcast about how there are several cities and areas of the country that seem to be better placed when it comes to the rollout of charges, etc. in that zone. We've mentioned Milton Keynes and Nottingham as examples. Well, surprise, surprise, Milton Keynes and Nottingham are two of the locations chosen as part of the Go Ultra Low City scheme. As I mentioned earlier, the full list is Oxford, Milton Keynes, Nottingham, New York, Dundee, London, the west of England and the North East. It's no surprise then that Milton Keynes has a huge number of charges. Dundee has several charging hubs, London has more charges per capita than anywhere else in the country, and Nottingham, York and Oxford are amongst the first to add charges to their park and ride facilities. In fact, Oxford now has one of the best charging hubs in the country, with Fastned Rapids, Tesla superchargers, and lots of 7 and 22 kilowatt fast charges installed in the Redbridge park and ride, and linked directly to the high voltage grid to ensure adequate capacity. Nottingham has created the Go Ultra Low Nottingham project, which is the umbrella organisation managing low emissions projects in Nottingham, Derby and the surrounding counties. Their vision is for Nottinghamshire and Derbyshire to become an exemplar for low emission vehicles, spanning private cars, vans, buses, taxis and commercial fleets as a core part of the sustainable transport system. And they've done this via a 6.12 million grant from OZEV, or OLEV as it was then. There are several initiatives taking place under this umbrella, including education, moving taxis to electric, creating an ultra-low emission vehicle lane that both buses and EVs can use to travel quicker through the city, and, of course, charging facilities. Using the OZEF funding, they've installed 374 fast charges, 22 kilowatts and lower, 52 rapid charges, 50 kilowatts and higher, across the city. Looking at their list of sites, it's encouraging to see that they've gone for quite a few fast charges in local car parks, including 32 in the city centre in the middle of Nottingham, 22 in the Queen's Drive Park and Ride, 10 in Totten Lane Park and Ride, 8 in Derby's Pride Park Park and Ride, and 8 at the East Midland Design Outlet. York Council have a strategy for EV charging. In fact, they were one of the first to actually implement EV charging in their area. Back in 2013, they installed 20 fast chargers with 40 sockets and 5 rapid chargers in various locations around the city centre. In 2014, there were 1,510 charging sessions. Four years later, that number had jumped by a factor of nine to 13,695. This meant that EV users were finding it harder to find availability for chargers with the limited number of units they had. York Council's strategy talks about how they're going to implement both fast and rapid chargers across the city, with the creation of a couple of what they call EV hyperhubs at two of the local park and ride sites. 
We mentioned Oxford a few moments ago in relation to the Oxford Super Hub that was recently opened. I went there for the opening and the leader of the Oxford City Council, Councillor Susan Brown, spoke rather eloquently about the ambitions Oxford has as a zero emissions environment. They've recently implemented a zero emission zone in the centre of the town and, as has already been mentioned, they have a world leading charging hub which, unlike many other hubs, takes a direct feed from the high voltage grid rather than pulling its power from a local substation. They also have an initiative funded through Oxford County Council via OZEV called Park and Charge Oxfordshire. This is an initiative where 20 car parks across the county will have electric vehicle chargers installed, giving residents with no off-street parking the ability to park for free overnight and charge their electric vehicles with competitive prices. The project will install up to 250 individual charging points, i.e. 125 double charging units, across 20 car parks across the county. There'll be five park and charge hubs in each of the districts taking part. All car parks will have between 10 and 16 individual electric vehicle charging points or bays, i.e. between five and eight double-headed charger units in each. Unlike a lot of other 22 kilowatt chargers, these will have contactless payments, although you can use the EX charge app, the X charge app. They're also taking steps to reduce their climate impact by doing things such as replacing street lighting with low power LEDs, getting 21 electric vehicles with 44 EV charge points on council sites. Oxford's definitely one of those locations that's taking EV charging and climate change generally quite seriously. What we need to look at when considering councils and their EV policy is not to look at just things like are they installing 7 kilowatt or 22 kilowatt chargers anywhere in their area. It has to be bigger than that. For example, does a specific council have a climate change policy? When it comes to electric vehicles in particular, is there a policy to replace council vehicles with zero emission ones? What is the council policy to increase the uptake of electric vehicles in the area? Does the council allow cheap or free parking for electric vehicles? I mentioned it before on the podcast, but some of the central London councils have implemented this. In Islington, you pay 20 pence to park at a metre if you have an electric car. A diesel parking in the same place might cost up to £12 for parking. This is for four hours. Westminster Council has a similar thing. So the overall approach to reducing emissions is something that a council needs to have considered. And I'm not talking about a typical greenwashing plan, which involves a lot of PR about plans that will happen in the future that, when all said and done, won't actually decrease emissions by any measurable amount. So what lies in wait for the future of council funding of EV charge points? Should this be funded at a county council level? Should central government manage it? Are they managed it by granting money to the local councils? Well, let's look at councils that have not done things well. On a recent EV conference discussion, Leicester Council made it clear that their approach was that private EV charging was something that they're not interested in. They're more focused on solutions that prioritise other aspects of transportation. They also mentioned that they think a lot of money for this should be private. In other words, they aren't looking at providing any leadership in this area and are happy to leave this to private companies such as Instavolt, Osprey and others. Within the main ring roads surrounding the city of Leicester, there are three rapid charger locations. Two are Genie Point and one is a Nissan dealership. At the time of recording this, July 2022, Two of these three locations were not working. Compare that with Nottingham, which is a mere five junctions up the M1. Within the nominal city centre of Nottingham, there are about a dozen rapid charger sites. At the time of writing, only two of them are marked as having issues. 
Coventry, on the other hand, have opted to move forward with EV charging infrastructure. They partner with companies such as ESB Charging for rapid charging. Within the city centre itself, there are eight separate rapid charger locations from ESB, totaling 10 units, with another five just outside the ring road. We talked about York Council a little earlier. They've made strides with EV charging, having installed chargers in their park and rides, but not everything has been plain sailing for them. There were issues with the chargers themselves. As York Council stated in a document they posted, part of the reliability issues are due to being an early adopter of public charging equipment. Much of the estate is now life expired and some of the charge points have three pin sockets which are no longer appropriate. This was compounded by a lack of maintenance which made the equipment more likely to fail and meant that they didn't have a way to fix issues in a timely manner. And the lack of adequate maintenance was due to the network lacking a clearly defined budget which makes maintenance and renewable challenging. And management of the network needs to be streamlined to ensure that faults are identified and fixed in a timely manner. So a lot of the issues that York Council have experienced are being experienced by other councils. I know Basingstoke Council had similar issues with charges they installed. No budget for them, old hardware, no understanding of who was responsible for maintaining them. But York Council have also missed an opportunity in their strategy. As they state themselves in their strategy document, quote, a solution to charging for residents without off-street parking is needed. On-street charging is a complicated issue which is detailed in, detailed in Annex A. At this time, we don't see a role for on-street charging as part of our network. But if the problems outlined in Annex A are resolved, we will consider this. Close quotes. But at the same time, they say, open quotes, to stimulate the market, we've recently increased the requirements for charge points in new developments by requiring fast charge points in 5% of car spaces or a lesser number of rapid charge points where appropriate. This will provide more opportunities for charging at destinations and will complement the council's investment in council-owned long-stay car parks, close quotes. So they are looking at things like destination charging, which is good. But what York Council have also done is implement a standard for overnight fast charging in their car parks because people were plugging in their EVs and leaving them, not charging, in car parks for the whole day they had to implement parking fees on fast charges of 7 kilowatts or more. But if you apply to the council, you can park overnight for free while charging your car. It was felt that overnight charging was less burdensome on the parking infrastructure compared with daytime parking. At note that to qualify for free parking, the vehicle must be plugged into a working charger. Users will pay the normal network fee for charging, but no parking fee will apply. The big issue for all of these EV charges is, of course, funding. OZEV is providing grants for many councils to help with implementation costs. This is, however, only part of the story. Once the charges are in and working, there is the issue of paying for electricity and maintenance. As we heard above, maintenance was one of the issues York had when they first put their charges in. There was a lack of clarity over who had responsibility for this, and there wasn't a suitable budget for it. Local councils are stuck in that curious position where many want to do as much as possible for the local area, but don't want to bump council tax up to a point where people start to complain. I mean, everyone wants the council to pay for their rubbish to be removed, for the police to be equipped and available, and the fire service to come when needed. But if the council tax goes too high because the council is paying for charging for a small proportion of residents using EVs, that's going to cause a problem. So one way of dealing with this is to outsource the charging and maintenance to a third party. In York, the councillors let BP Pulse come in and manage the billing and maintenance of the charges. 
Although, ironically, the rates that are charged are not mandated by BP Pulse, but by the council themselves. This gets us to the point where someone with a BP Pulse subscription can access a York Council charger in the park and ride and pay a different, potentially higher rate than their BP Pulse subscription allows them to. Although, since BP Pulse have increased their subscription rates recently, this might not be an issue any longer. The related issue around this topic is that the maintenance might not get done as quickly as needed. We know at the moment that BP Pulse seem to be having issues with some of their charges, which are going unrepaired for quite a while. If this is for their own network, what priority is being given to local council networks that need repairing? As Tom Callow said on this podcast a couple of seasons back, BP Pulse do have a fleet of repairers who go around every day fixing broken charges. But the network is getting bigger. Is the number of repairers getting bigger with it? Is there an ideal funding model? Well, no, but common sense would say that using publicly available funds makes more sense than trying to raise the cost of council tax or similar to pay for this. Is bringing in external third-party companies a good thing? Coventry Council seems to think so. With ESB, they appear to be pushing forward quite happily. But if you choose the wrong supplier, your plans can go seriously awry. We all know that CYC, Charger Car, used a model whereby installation was provided by the company, but maintenance was covered by the landlord. Many landlords stopped maintaining their charges, and the result was a neglected network that's not fit for purpose. And this is a trap that many councils fall into, especially those like Leicester Council, who are not committed to funding their own charging network. If they allow commercial operators to come in on the wrong funding model, Leicester will potentially join Wales, North Yorkshire and Lincolnshire as one of the charging wastelands, especially for destination charges. So in summary, I think it's fair to say that between the apathy of some councils and the proactive moves by others, the range of responses falls across the board. We've got ultra-low cities such as Oxford, Milton, C- Milton Keynes, Nottingham, York, Dundee, London, the west of England and the northeast, who push forward with their plans, some more deeply than others. Then we've got councils such as Leicester, who've almost completely abdicated their responsibility for moving the charging needle forward at all. Where there have been pilots outside the Go ultra-low sphere, these have tended to be relatively small-scale, and in certain cases only meant as a means of ticking a box regarding EV charging. We put charges in, ran them for 12 months, nobody used them. What's missing from a lot of councils is the attitude of, this needs to be done. There will be 30 million EVs on the road in the future, and they'll need somewhere to charge. That attitude doesn't seem to be there for many councils. I mean, we talked about destination charging in episode 103. To my mind, it's the most important aspect of the future of charging. The ability to park your car, either on the street in a car park, or it's somewhere like a cinema, restaurant, hotel, or theme park. And charge while you're doing something else is the unique selling point that EVs have over something like a petrol or diesel vehicle. But unless and until councils get into the mindset of being able to do something like that, we're going to be in trouble. The government is providing money via OZEV. Their technology is there. Councils with the political will and foresight are doing it Hello, Milton Keynes, Oxford, Dundee and Nottingham. So why aren't all the councils? The answer is, of course, political. As we mentioned earlier on, some councils don't think EVs are the future and are waiting for hydrogen or some other technology. 
although interestingly none of these councils have put forward a budget or initiatives to introduce hydrogen supplies in their area, so maybe they're just wishing the whole zero emissions thing will go away. In some councils that are forward-thinking, progress has been made, but it only takes a couple of bad election swings for the makeup of that council to be changed and the new council to reverse decisions already being made. At the time of recording this, the Conservative leadership battle is underway. One of the outcomes of this could be a candidate who moves away from the previous leadership's net zero model, and this could have dramatic and long-lasting effects on EV charging in the UK. In the meantime, the current 2030 deadline is getting closer and closer and closer. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. This TikTok from Pete Flint Murray, uh, Pete on wheels in, um, on Twitter, uh, shows the difference between CCS and AC. Uh, and that's useful for iPace drivers and others who were not shown the difference when they got the cars. It's short, sweet, and to the point, great work, Pete. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to become an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoy this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings and you can do just that. ko-fi.com slash evmusing. Takes Apple Pay too. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Got Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this point of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingTV with the words Councils? No. Hashtag, if you know, you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. You know, he's a big fan of musical theatre and seriously considered becoming an actor at one point in his life. He did the usual thing, theatre school, drama school, summer stock. Then he had an audition for the lead role in Phantom of the Opera. But he decided not to go for it. It needed you to jump through 150 different hoops while singing the baseline harmonies to Let Me Have Him Joe from the Bugsy Malone musical and hopping on one leg. Many thanks for listening. Bye.